0: You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no nonsense advice with thought provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. And I have to say, today's topic is a first. A first for me, and I've been in healthcare for over 24 years, and I actually think this is a first for many. It probably won't be the last. Um, so I'm not sure if you've heard, uh, but there was a charge nurse in an emergency room uh, at the St. Michael Medical Center in Washington who actually called 911. She and her staff were in an emergency. There were only five staff nurses with an ER with over 45 patients. And more coming in. More coming in. Isn't that crazy? So this chargers was extremely concerned about safe staffing and, you know, concern of patient outcomes, how our staff was going to handle it. And so what she did was she called 911. And good for her. But that's interesting when the emergency is in the emergency room, right? But I'm so glad that there was collaboration. She called the Fire department. And you know what? They treated it just like they would a community concern. They sent out a crew of two, and those firefighters came to the emergency room and they were doing vital signs, transferring patients, fixing beds, like doing linen type of things, like whatever they could do that were in their scope of practice. Because mind you, they're not nurses, but they showed up and they helped the nurses, which was great, you know, because they couldn't give them a really hard time, but they recognized that there was a need. And besides, this fire department services that hospital. And in fact, their leadership has even sat down and had communications with the leadership of this hospital and talked to them about long paramedic waits. So usually when there's a 911 run, um, there's paramedics or EMTs that show up to the ER, they call it holding the wall. They're holding the wall because they're just leaned up against the wall waiting for a nurse or a bed to become available so they can drop off their patients. So, this fire department's well aware of the delays and shortages that this hospital has had, and so I'm so glad that they worked with this charge nurse and her team and sent out a crew to help. But isn't that amazing? Now, I will say this, since this story broke, there have been some other changes. Um, it looks like the interim emergency room director has left. facility. It's been neither confirmed or denied if the person left on their own, if they were let go. But y'all know me. Knowing what I know, having been a part of leadership, this was probably something that has been a long-standing issue. Let me just say this. This is my, this is what I think happened here, guys. I believe that this, obviously many of us across the nation, we're short-staffed. Everyone is short-staffed, especially since the pandemic. We've been even more short-staffed. And I'll tell you the, the pandemic has really burnt out the ER nurses and let's also look at the patient flow of ER. Pandemic or not, patients are coming left, right, left, right. Sometimes it feels like they all come at one time. Uh, we just never know how many patients are going to come. And you can't really turn close the doors. You can't. Unlike, let's say you're on the floor, right, ICU or you're in med surge or tele, whatever, and you have an open bed, you're going to be transfer a patient up. If there's not a nurse for it, you guys block the bed. You block the room. You say, hold on. Or you you let the charge nurse wait till there's someone to take the patient. Not in the ED. They don't do that. Well, I shouldn't say that. Very seldom can they do that. There is a status called uh, emergency room bypass where under certain conditions, an ER can close for 60 minutes, provided that there are no other ERs in their area that are also on bypass. So that has happened when there has been like mass casualty patients coming to a particular emergency room and they just no longer have the staff or capacity to safely care for patients. And so they go on bypass or there's, you know, something major going on at that hospital in the ER and they go on bypass, but you can only do it for 60 minutes. First off, it takes almost like an act of God to go on bypass. And then when you do, it's only for 60 minutes because believe me, they're reevaluating. They're like, okay, are we ready to open? And it sucks. And I've actually worked at a hospital where we kicked, begged, and screamed to be on bypass. And we finally got it. We only got it for an hour. But listen, that was not enough. It was not enough. But anyways, back to the story. So this nurse in Washington, D.C. calls 911. Fire department comes out, sends a crew of two. They help. Okay, that's great for the day. So now what's happening? Well, the interim emergency room director is gone and someone else is going to fill their space. I'm pretty sure there was enough public embarrassment and heat that came from this negative press that the hospital felt like something had to happen because I'm pretty sure this was not the first time staffing has been this dire. But I also want to say that this hospital, at least the parent system, parent hospital was a saying that there was a, some type of cyber attack, some type of spyware issues with their computer, which also complicated the situation, which they're trying I'm not going to say they're trying because I don't know, guys. I'm just speculating here. But obviously, we know technical issues, other process issues are definitely going to compound staffing, uh, low staffing and high census. They are. But that kind of shit happens all the time. Various reasons. But anyways, this kind of stuff shouldn't happen. As much as taxpayers pay for health care, as much as insurance companies are paying for health care, as much as they're asking us for cash pay as healthcare, like we deserve better. That community in that area deserves better. Because when you are short staff like that, I'm telling you, as well as the staff, nurses and doctors and techs and everyone means, it's hard. It's hard to have quality and safe healthcare. And you can't have one. You can't have quality without safety. You can't have safety without quality. And you can't have any of those if you don't have adequate staffing. You can't. So I thought that was a really interesting story. And just wanted to kind of break that down uh, a little bit more. I mean, can you imagine coming to work for an organization like that? Like I'm just saying, who wants to come to work for an organization like that? And just think of the care, like take me anywhere but there, my gosh, right? But here's the twist. So many people were concerned about this staff nurse's job. They're like, oh my God, oh my God, she's gonna get fired. She shouldn't have done that. And sad to say, like, we in nursing have been conditioned to be worker bees and to just do what we're told and kind of just make do, make it happen. And when we try to make it happen, we rush, we cut corners, we jerry rig shit, and we make errors and bad things happen. And as you know, as of lately, nurses, you're not gonna go unscathed by that, right? The criminal charges are starting to creep up on, you know, errors, medical errors and things like that. So we can't. So we really gotta figure out a way to work the system and not let the system work us. So is trolls, call 911. Now, do I think that there will be copycat instances of this? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Because here's the thing in hospitals, right? They obviously they're always trying to look for staffing. They're looking to hire. Um, Sometimes they have registries, sometimes they have travel nurses, but several organizations have cut down their travel nurses because with the spike in prices for travel nurses, hospitals were like, Mm-mm, we're not having it. We'll be okay. But really, they won't be okay. So long story short, the hospital is going to have to invest some money some way, somehow, whether it's investing in their core staff and paying them more and doing more along the lines of recruitment and improving the work environment so they can acquire staff, or they're going to have to pay these travel nurses to come in and help you know, patch up the band-aids and the gaps in their staffing. But we really got to work on the culture there. So- Let's break down a few things. So this nurse, charge nurse, identified a problem, probably had her hands tied, didn't know what else to do, and was just like desperate, desperate. Let's really think about it. What ER nurse is really going to call 911? When you call 911, you're literally going to be coming to the ER, if anything. But the emergency was in the emergency room. Has something like this been done? done? I've done some research, and you tell me, unless you know something different, This There doesn't seem to be a precedent for this. Now, people are concerned about her job, like, oh, my gosh, the hospital's going to fire her, this and that. Actually, she should be protected under the the National Whistleblower Act. When there are issues of safety and concern and they are reported or they are identified or they're exposed, there is a law in place that prevents the whistleblower from being punished or retaliated against. So in actuality, this nurse is probably pretty well protected now, especially now that, you know, the story is out in the world, which would lead me to believe that's probably why the interim ER director is gone. Hate to say it, guys. Somebody's going to take the fall. Somebody's going to take this L. And the hospital wasn't going to take the L. They knew they couldn't fire the staff nurse. They weren't going to dare penalize the other four nurses that were there working with her. Um, So ER director, got to go. Sad to say, but when you're in leadership, when you are in leadership, those are the problems you are hired to identify and to solve. Now, I'm not saying that you can solve these things overnight, not necessarily, but you are responsible for showing action, progress that you are looking to remedy this. And I don't know the details. That could have it could have been something that has been longstanding, and maybe. The complaints and these issues were falling on deaf ears and no, no, nothing was being done. That could be the case, or it could be the case that something was being done, but when enough, when enough before it hit the front page of everybody's newspaper. And so to look as if they are taking action to remedy it, somebody had to take a fall. There had to be a fall guy and it sucks. That's a sucky part of being in leadership guys, but that's the, those are the problems that you adopt. And you know, what's interesting is I've thought of like, you know what, Alice, do you want to be an ER manager? Do you want to be a director? Mm -mm, No, you could keep it. Not for me, just because of all of the issues and especially since COVID. And let me say this, because I've worked a lot of areas, ER, ICU, and all of these things. I actually love working in the ER. I love the unpredictability of it. It's like, I like staying on my toes. I like the different learning opportunities. I like being able to, for the most part, being able to take anything that comes my way, right? ICU, you can say the same thing about that, but you're not gonna catch, by the time they get to ICU, they're already intubated, they're already sedated, they're already on pressers, they're already like, ER has kind of started it and then we've you know, shipped them off to the unit. So you're li- literally gonna get someone in some of their most raw forms and need to stabilize them and get them to the area in which they're gonna be best suited or taken care of. So the emergency room, you're seeing people literally, I've seen people walking with knives in their back. I've seen homie drop-offs from gunshot wounds, active strokes, active heart attacks, literally cold blues, flash pulmonary edema. Like I've seen so many things literally have, you know, people's shoulders out of socket and you're literally popping it in place. We're doing all of these kind of, you know, conscious sedation procedures in the ER, like suturing, you know, this is when they're all bloody and everything's a mess and you're trying to make. Clear of it. So, can you imagine 45 patients to be seen? You only got five people, a charge nurse and four staff. My gosh, nobody's going to pee, nobody's going to eat, nobody can drink anything. Like, how many patients in? Oh, and let me say this. So, for those of you who are unaware, in the ER, for the most part, at least in California, I'm speaking for California, your ratio is one nurse for every four patients. And these should be, you know, general patients that aren't too sick. I mean, obviously they're having some type of urgent issue that needs to be addressed or taken care of, right? Someone's coming in for abdominal pain. Someone's got, you know, an, an earache and can't get to their doctor. Someone is coming up with like rashes and hives anywhere because they've had a reaction to an antibiotic. Someone was working on a piece on their car and they cut themselves and they need sutures. So you're going to see quite a few things, you know, always starting IVs, getting blood work, sending people to tests, getting medications going and stuff like that. So the ER nurse is fairly busy with, you know, we say one, one nurse and four patients. However, check this out. Patients going to get seen. They're going to get treated. They're going to get discharged. And as soon as they leave, I mean, as soon as they leave, because in the ERs that I've worked at, ain't no housekeeping coming to clean the room. Person leaves. I got to wipe down everything, make the bed, you know, refill some supplies and boom, The next patient is already in the bed. And you know why? Didn't take too long because they were waiting in the waiting room. Waiting room was full. Like, can you imagine that? So I would say as an ER nurse, you can literally, although the ratio they'll say is one to four, you can literally see up to, I guess, in a 12-hour shift. I don't know what's the most I've seen. I'm going to make something up. I don't know, 20... 24 patients or so, at least probably. And that's not to mention the other patients that you help take care of in the emergency room because your buddies are covering, stuff like that. And then staffing in the ER is a little fluid because sometimes you'll have four patients, but oh my gosh, my got two patients are septic intubated, just intubated. One's about probably going to code. Okay, then my ratio changes. So I might just have two patients and someone else has to cover the other ones. It's like all of these things, but I'll just tell you this. We don't hold beds. We don't block beds in the ER. Mm Mm-mm. The people are coming. Matter of fact, we put chairs in the hallways. People will be in beds. They will be in chairs. They will be in gurneys in the hallway. And it's just, then you got like your fast track area. Listen, you got to stay on your toes. So kudos to the ER nurses, definitely for sure. But we got to figure out something better, guys. We got to figure out something about the staffing, how we're going to do this. And I think one thing we're guilty of is we care. We care too damn much sometimes. And I love that we care, right? That's why we're in the profession. We want to do our best and we're just going to make it happen. We're going to make it work. We don't know how it's going to work, but we're going to make it work. We are engineers. We are creators. We can jerry-rig equipment if we don't have all the supplies that we need. We're just just going to make it happen. And sometimes when we do that, we rush or we will somewhat deviate out of protocol. Um, Even if we don't recognize that it's compromising safety, it might be compromising safety. And then it leads to bad outcomes. Or, and, or I say and, and it helps with the throughput. So I'll say this, we want to get people seen in the ER. We want to get them to either discharge home or admitted to whatever unit they need to go to. We want to. However, if we keep working short staffs so fast, that first, that's going to be unsafe and un, a lack of quality in the care we provide. But it's also going to demonstrate to the leadership and staffing that, oh, they got it. They got it. They don't need any help. Oh, you know, they, they rise to the occasion this is what they want to do. Give you a pizza party, say thank you. And thank you for rising up to the occasion. We knew you could do it. We believed in you. I don't need you to believe in me. I need you to give me some staffing. That's what I need. I'm going to need you to give me some staffing and you can shove that pizza where you know what, where the sun don't shine because I'm going to need some staffing because golly, that is no conditions to work. I'll be curious to see what happens next with this hospital. And I'll tell you this, just because this happened at St. Michael Medical Center does not mean that this is the only place that is having issues. I believe, I believe there's probably going to be some copycat cases of calling 911. Although <laughs> I'm pretty sure every ER director has probably heard this story and is like, Mm-mm, and probably talked to their staff about what they're not going to do, which is kind of sad because you can't tell a whistleblower not to blow a whistle. Can't do it. I'm gonna need to see some actions. I'm gonna need to see an action plan. I need to know what y'all are doing, and I need the not just staff also, not just hospital staff, but we need the community. We need the community. And, you know, you as healthcare professionals are also the community. So you can rally up folks in your neighborhood, your church and your schools and stuff like that, and have them write letters to your local hospital to say, hey, you know what? This is a community resource and it's not meeting our community needs. We're concerned that you're not going to be able to provide the care that we need. And as taxpayers, we demand better. We demand more. You know, write letters to the hospital board." There's a board of directors at every hospital that has some input as to what the hospital's doing, how they're spending their money, and how they're responding to the community needs. It's just nobody's really gave two craps about it because we're like, they don't got time. But when we find ourselves in situations like this, we need to get creative as listeners did in calling 911. Listen, and I don't care if everybody gets the same letter and they just leave the, the name part blank and everyone prints out the same letter and signs their name. But they need to write a letter, they need to send an email, they need to, to the hospital leadership, as well as the hospital board, hospital board members are elected, community officials who do not work for the hospital that are, that help govern business of the hospital. We got to get involved. Also, maybe, you know, your local mayor or city councilman, let them know, hey, I went to the ER and it was an eight hour wait and this is impossible. Now, mind you, there'll be ebbs and flows in the ability of an ER to uh, how quickly they can move. Because I'll say this: ER is also not a place where we do first come first serve. It is a place where we generally use an index, the ESI, and we triage people from one to five. One means urgent. If we don't see you right away, you have the potential to die. Versus five is like you need very minimal resources to take care of your issue, right? And You probably don't even know need to go into the back in actually a room. We probably can see and triage, do whatever needs to be done, give you whatever medication or whatever quickly, and then send you out your way. So we triage people, right? So if you come in and you have, oh, I stubbed my toe and my toe is swollen, I don't know, it's swollen and you you feel like it's broke because it's painful. You can't walk on it, whatever. But for the most part, you're breathing, heartbeat's okay. You know, everything else is fine. It's just your toe hurts. Versus someone who comes in who's actively having a heart attack or actively having a stroke, even if you were there three hours before them, they're going to be seen before you. That's just the nature of the beast. It's an emergency room. It's a place that is for emergencies. This is not, although people who don't have healthcare insurance will sometimes use this as a revolving door and as our primary services because they don't have any other services because we can't turn anyone away. Also, everyone in the emergency room, every facility that receives any type of federal dollars for funding cannot, there is Uh, It's called MTALA. So if you don't work in the emergency room, you may not be familiar with it. It's the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. We have a duty in the emergency room for everyone who presents. We must assess them and make sure that they are stabilized before we discharge, transfer, or refer you to your primary care provider. We are obligated to see you. So we're obligated to see everyone. We triage people and based on the urgency of your medical need, then we will see you in that order. And that can still lead to long waits. And just imagine this, at that particular hospital, you could have had some really, really sick patients come in that needed to be seen urgently, right? The ESI emergency triage scale, which is emergency severity index, they could have been real high. For all we know, there could have been five heart attacks coming in. Well, you only got five staff nurses, so I don't know what y'all gonna do. I really don't know what you're going to do. So that is absurd. It's unsafe. It's uncalled for. And I really want to encourage you, even if you don't work in Washington, if you want to write that that hospital leadership a letter or their board, hospital board a letter, I would encourage you to do so. I think we should. I mean, as healthcare providers, as nurses, we should care for one another, even if it's not happening in our own state, because it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time before it happens to you. So, you know, I wanted to kind of dissect that story a little bit, but more importantly, I want to hear know what you think because, you know, some people said, "Oh, that was stupid. That was a waste of resources. You know, 911 should could have been used for something else." But you guys, it actually was pretty clever because if you're at your ends wit, you've there's no other, there's no staffing. There's no PRN staffing, there's no hospital floats, there's no travel nurses coming to your rescue. The hospital won't allow you to go on bypass. So you got you to gotta keep your doors open and you, you got patients that you already have to see. They're really sick. You're short staff. Your staff nurses can't get a break. I mean, I'm sure there was. I mean, if you only got five nurses, I don't know how many doctors, you got probably one or two, I don't know. But like, you can't do too much. That is an emergency. That hospital is literally unsafe, for real. That's really unsafe. I wouldn't even want to be there or work there. And so when we see situations like this, it's so important that we speak up And this kind of brings me along the lines of the Nurse.org State of Nursing 2022 survey. Issues like this, we want to hear about them. We want to know what you feel, what you think about what's going on in nursing today. We did one last year. We compiled all the data. We shared it. We did a report. You know, again, it was in the kind of midst of COVID, so I'm not sure how many people, many of y'all read it, but I'm not sure you knew what to do with the information. But guys, we're going to be doing the survey again, the State of Nursing Survey 2022. Please fill it out. We're going to take. All of your experiences, all your comments, all your opinions, your thoughts, your feelings, all of those things we're going to collect and quantify that data. We're going to put it in a nice report. We're going to give you some bullet points. So if you ever need to go toe to toe, head to head with a CEO, any type of leadership, you have data and statistics that are meaningful for you as a nurse from the largest nursing outlet on the planet. So I want to encourage you to do that. And then also, you know, let us know what you think at nurse.org. Send us your comments, leave a rating or review email me at, at org and let us know what you think about what's happening with this case. And if you've been in a similar situation, would love to know about it. Yeah. Cause this is getting scary guys. It's getting really scary. It's getting close to home. Okay. It's getting really close to home. And so I'm Nurse Alice you know I love talking to you. This was a little bit of a shorter story, but one that I think we're going to be talking about for a while. So let me know what you think. Share this podcast with your friend, your classmate, someone in your neighborhood. And let me say this, this story really impacts a lot of people. It really does, because even if you're not a nurse or a healthcare provider, as a healthcare consumer, and listen, about two in every five Americans will visit the ER each year. So this is going to impact you, whether you're a kid, an adult. A teenager doesn't matter whether you're from a sniff, whether you're from home, whether you're from wherever, doesn't matter. This has the potential to affect everyone. So we got to get it together before you or someone, you know, as a patient or a healthcare provider gets hurt and loses their license or worse, you're trying to do your best and you get, there's an error, or a bad outcome, and you get charged with, you know, some type of medical error or crime when you were set up for failure. So let us know what you think guys and until next time please 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 make good choices be kind to one another and live well my friends thanks for listening to ask nurse alice visit nurse.org for nursing career education and community resources